Nutmeg Book Drops is a new podcast brought to you by Librarians Connect. Librarians Connect is a group of public and school librarians from throughout the state of Connecticut. Find us online at bit.ly slash librariansconnect. I'm Christina Carpino from the Essex Library Association. I'm Amy Lillian Harper from the Wilton Library Association. I'm Michelle Farella from the Meriden Public Library. I'm Valerie DiLorenzo. I'm from Rumsey Hall School. On each week's episode, we'll be discussing two of the 2022 Nutmeg nominees. Haven't had a chance to read this week's books yet? Stay tuned for a preview of each of the titles. Then pause the episode and head to your local library to grab these great titles. Once you've read them, join us for a spoiler-filled discussion of both books. The first book we'll be discussing today is Wink by Rob Harrell, published by Dial Books. A wrenching and hilarious story about embracing life's weirdness and surviving an unthinkable diagnosis, based on the author's own experience with a rare eye cancer. 12-year-old Ross Malloy just wants to be normal. Not to have a rare eye cancer, not to lose his hair, not to have to wear a weird hat or have a goopy eye full of ointment. Just normal. But with a sudden and horrifying diagnosis, Ross can't help standing out. His new life is medical treatments that feel straight out of a video game, vision loss in one eye, disappearing friends who don't know what to say to the cancer kid, cruel bullying, and ultimately, friendships new and old that rise above everything. Just when Ross starts to feel like he's losing his footing, he discovers how music, art, and true friends can change everything. Filled with Rob Harrell's comic panels, Bat Pig for the Win, and Spot Art, this novel brings effortless humor and hope to an unforgettable, uplifting story of survival. Who would you recommend this book to? I know I recently recommended it to a boy who um, was looking for something a little bit more serious than some of the other books that are um, targeted towards the kind of intermediate grade boys with a lot of like the slapstick humor. He wanted something that was a little bit more serious. Um, and he really enjoyed this one. I think it's a nice balance of humor and like tough topics. So I think that, I think it's got a like broad appeal. I mean, I think kids who like things like wonder would like it, but I think kids who like things that are a little more funny, but want something that's got like a little more depth to it would really, really enjoy it. I, it, it was a lot of fun to read and you dealt with tough, tough stuff, but he did it in a really like light way, which I liked. Yeah. I'd recommend it to kids who like, um, graphic novels, but are ready to kind of move on to something more, um, more word focused um, because it's got the great going back and forth between like a panel here, some panels here, and that kind of relate to the story as well. So if yeah, if you're ready to kind of, if you're a fan of both, that would be, that would be a good book for kids. And also Ross is in seventh grade, so maybe seventh graders <laughs> particularly appeal to. Yeah, lots of, lots of middle school drama going on here. Next, we have You Don't Know Everything, Jilly P. by Alex Gino, published by Scholastic Press. Jilly thinks she's figured out how life works, but when her sister Emma is born deaf, she realizes how much she still has to learn. 
A big fantasy reader, Jilly connects with another fan, Derek, who is a deaf black ASL user. She goes to Derek for advice, but doesn't always know the best way to ask for it and makes some mistakes along the way. Jilly has to step back to learn to be an ally, a sister, and a friend, understanding that life works in different ways for different people and that being open to change can make change in the best possible way. Let's switch gears to You Don't Know Everything Jilly P by Alex Gino. And I'd like to hear first who you would recommend this book to. This is a great conversation starter um, book. So it talks about um, a good amount of issues of the day, um, uh, police violence against um, black people, and also talks about the uh, being deaf and the deaf community. Um, I think it's a great, uh, great to give to, you know, anybody really nowadays to kind of like start sparking those um, conversation, especially if um, you're white, because Jilly, um, you know, she's like really forced to examine her privilege as being a white and um, person who can hear too. Um, and I think it's more a good good middle school good for middle schoolers for sure um i've been recommending this book even to fourth graders and also fifth graders and for sure middle school they are super excited to read it they've they've heard all my great comments about it um it just really made me think about you know how i understood or or didn't understand the deaf community um and as you've already said you know, thinking about your, your, our own privilege that we are born into just because of the color of our skin. So it's a good one for, I'd say fourth grade and up. It definitely felt very topical with everything that's been going on because it really did address issues of microaggressions and um, being a person of color and um, issues related to being a person of color and the dangers and all of that, it was all kind of wrapped in there. And so I thought that worked really nicely. And it's definitely something that seems like a good thing to, for us to have on a list for people to be reading now. Like all of you have said, this is a great conversation starter. So I think this is a, a really good one for teachers to use as a read aloud potentially, so that you can discuss some of these issues in the classroom. Um, or as a parent and child's or caregiver and child's book club book, where again, you're discussing, discussing things with both adults and peers about these various issues that come up because they are so relevant to today's world. If these books sound like they're for you, head to your local library to check them out. When you've finished reading, Continue to listen to the rest of this episode and join our discussion. If you haven't read the books yet, pause the episode now to avoid spoilers. Ross is diagnosed with a really rare form of cancer that uh, involves his eye. And how does having cancer change Ross? Does it change him for the better or for the worse? That he experiences things that he would never have experienced 
and he meets people and does things that he would never have done. Um, I don't think that it's a pleasant thing. And I think if he could go back and not have cancer, he'd probably be happy to do that. But sort of jumping ahead, he ends up learning to play guitar and he does it because of stuff that's going on with the cancer and because he has been talking with one of the, the therapists that does runs the, um, the radiation machine. And that the tech, that tech ends up being his guitar teacher. And it's just sort of a random experiential thing. And he, he uses the guitar to be kind of therapeutic, to like get out his, his frustrations and his anger and give him something to focus on. And I don't know that he would ever have learned to play guitar if he had not been in this situation. So often you get put in a situation that you don't expect and things come out of it that would never have happened. Having cancer makes him not anonymous anymore. He sticks out and it's something like, I don't think many kids really want to stick out in the way that he sticks out. He has to wear um, a cowboy hat uh, to school um, so that the sun stays, even when he's in school, so the sun stays off of him because he's getting, you know, um, laser proton treatment in his eye and he has to, you know, put on like some sort of like goop to keep him from drying out. So he, st he stands out. He's a, um, yeah, and not necessarily in a good way like that, but also kind of going off what Amy said about like the idea that like he finds music as an outlet for um, like a, for, a kind of a form of healing for him that he wouldn't, yeah, he wouldn't have probably done uh, or looked for. He, when he starts his uh, treatments, the radiation tech Frank is like, oh, what do you want to listen to? And he's like, I don't know, like whatever's on the radio. And Frank's like, oh, wait, I gotta like get you to like listen to other things. So that really like gets him, uh, you know, kind of really interested in music and then wanting to play an instrument and finding like joy with, with that and kind of then connecting with um, the seemingly bully um, guy, Jimmy in his class. And they actually like, you know, form a friendship because of the music. Let's jump right from there into that relationship between him and Jimmy. How does that relationship kind of change as this story progresses? I thought that was such an interesting thing because one of the other things that happens throughout the book is that people he doesn't think could ever be his friends or his allies become them. And the girl that he has a big crush on turns out to be really a nasty piece of work. And Jimmy is, he's, he's like an odd kid and he's kind of a bully and nobody likes him and he's weird and everybody's terrified of him. And then it turns out that he's the nephew of the drummer of the band that Frank is in. And they end up interacting with each other and they end up playing music together and they slowly start to become First, they're no longer enemies. They're sort of like getting along because they have to. And they slowly start to become friends. And Jimmy turns out to have had a lot, there's a lot going on in his life, which has made him who he is. 
but he's not at heart a really bad person. But at the beginning of the book, you figure, you know, this character is just going to be the bully and he's not going to have, you know, he's not going to have any other part in this story. And the end, he becomes his ally and he's the one who tells Ross who has been drawing these cartoons or set creating these cartoons that are cruel cartoons about him. He initially thinks Jimmy did it. And it turns out that it's not. And he's the one who tells him. And so it was really interesting watching that character, their relationship develop and that character development. And it was really plausible. Like I believed it. Sometimes when you have somebody turn around like that, it's not believable, but he was still really rough around the edges. So I bought it. Here, there's two sets of cartoons going on because Ross is drawing his own cartoons to kind of help just act, add some humor into his life. But then there are some pretty nasty cartoons going around as well. Um, so how do you think that those nasty cartoons affect Ross and kind of what happens when he finds out who has been circulating them? Yeah, so they refer to them more as like memes in um, the book. Like, you know, he's wearing a, in one of them, he's cancer cowboy because he has to, you know, wear a cowboy and then wear a cowboy hat. And then another, he, like there's a grim reaper like uh, waiting for him. And that one I think was the one that like got him the most. He's like, this is supposed to be funny. Like they're joking that I could potentially die and he was like he was like you know I know I stick out but like I figure people were on my side um that you know they were rooting for him and to see that was like a, a big like you know uh change for him too and he like you know, storms out of Abby's, like, they don't even do Halloween together because he just, like, he can't handle it, and so, yeah, that definitely affects him, um, but, which is, and they're, they're, they're very, very nasty thing to, to draw, like Amy was saying, like, um, but it's, which makes it very nice that there are the, his, his bat pig cartoons that, um, he kind of talks about like what's going on in his life and how like Bat Pig like, you know, swoops in and kind of saves the day and like deals with the situation. And they're funny and cute and, you know, kind of makes light of what he's going through. This book has a good balance, like you were saying before, of some really serious and, and difficult moments some of which are specific to Ross having cancer, but some of which are just things that middle schoolers go through like bullying, um, but then balancing it out with some of the more lighthearted moments like the bat pig cartoons. Um, so there's this kind of great balance, which I think is true to life for middle school because there's a lot of ups and downs when you're in seventh grade. One moment, life is great. You're having a great time with your friends. And then the next moment, like this is the worst day of your life and you just want to crawl into a cave and never see anyone again. Um, what are your thoughts on Abby? What kind of person she is and 
her conflict with Ross. She's his best friend, but she's totally supportive through the whole thing. She like just keeps going. He looks weird. There's all this weird stuff going on with him, but she's still there for him all the time. And then it turns out she's moving, which is like really hard for both of them. Um, but he's so caught up in his own stuff that he can't be there for her. And finally, she calls him on it. She gets mad at him. And at first, he's like, well, how dare she? She doesn't have cancer. And then he kind of realizes that, you know what? I'm still her friend. And just because my stuff's worse than hers doesn't mean she doesn't have bad stuff. And he steps up. But she's just, she's a really, she's smart and she's funny and she's, loyal to a fault and um and then it turns out she's also well she's also a she's a i believe she plays the viola and she's a very talented musician and then he ends up roping her into playing the bass for their band which she's of course fantastic about because she she's a really great musician and it, it's just a lot of fun and when the first scene where she joins the band and she's got to play with jimmy it's sort of like what's gonna happen but they make it work, so it, it's fun. But I, she was a great character. She was so um, likable and funny. At first, she just seemed like your kind of standard, like best friend character. Like, oh, you know, she's. But then she really takes on more of her own, you know, like the issues and her role. Um, yeah, of having to move away, and um, and then also calling Ross on his selfishness. It's like you know, he, she was dealing with, you know, having a lot and like you as a, as a kid, if your parents are, you know, going to move, you don't have any say, like that's, they're moving for a job or, you know, better opportunity or want to live, you know, somewhere else. Like, and you just have to up and go with it. And, you know, that's kind of hard to come to terms with. And um, Abby's uh, eccentric dresser. So she like stands out and she's worried, you know, that, you know, she, she doesn't mind that, but, you know, how is that going to be taken at a new school where she doesn't really have any friends? So I'm glad she called him on, on his selfishness because, you know, just because you're going through something doesn't diminish that someone else is going to have, is having a hard time too. And she was going to be away from him. Like they're, they're best friends too. Like, come on, dude. Like she's going to miss you. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, exactly. I, I, so I I didn't drive. Then she was a, a great, um, great supporting character. And I think that that's so authentic because it's it's very common that when somebody is going through something really difficult, like a severe disease like this, or um, loss of a family member, or things like that, that other people tiptoe around them and let them get away with a lot because they're, you know, oh, that person's going through a tough time and they need, yes, they do need extra compassion and yes, they do need extra care and extra love. But if they're not being kind, it's okay to call them out on that. Or, you know, we all have needs and there's a way to do that in a way that's respectful. And it, it sounds like this friendship really, uh, really nailed that kind of a relationship. Let's talk about Jerry and how meeting Jerry changes Ross. Jerry's kind of a fun character because he's definitely, um, he's kind of gruff and, but he's funny. 
And they have this, it's nice to see this sort of intergenerational relationship because he's probably old enough to be Ross's grandfather. And then at the very end, when they have the, um, they have the talent show and they're performing at the talent show, he ends up showing up. And like that moment was so fantastic when you hear him yell from the audience. And Ross is like, that's Jerry. And it was really meaningful because Jerry was also a musician. He talks about the fact that, you know, he had played music and he gave it up and got a different job, but he was missed it. And so having him there was really kind of special. I really like that. I like that um, Jerry gives Ross the nickname Dime Slot because of uh, the scar he has over his um, eye where the head, he had sur- they had surgery. Um, so that, and that's so why I find that like cute to, oh, to just to add on to that, you know, intergenerational um, relationship. And, you know, he can talk about his life with him and also joke as well. You know, cute. once again, this book does a great job of like talking about hard things, but then like, having like something funny like like that too so this is not one I actually cried at too because I think because it was just so well done having funny and the bad kind of balancing each other out too let's switch gears and talk about you don't know everything Jilly P Jilly is our main character and she is white and she is hearing but then she has a new baby sister who is not hearing. The doctor recommends that they don't use sign language with the baby because they're going to do cochlear implant. Why does Jilly react the way that she does and why does her family make the choices that they do? That scene upset me so much. Yeah, me too. What happens in that scene is that they bring the baby into the doctor and the doctor says, you know, you should do a cochlear implant. And the doctor says, don't sign with the baby because then she won't use her hearing. And I just found that so horrific that you would choose not to use every form of communication you could possibly use with your child, regardless of whether you were going to get the child a cochlear implant. And regardless of whether or not the child was going to potentially learn to speak and learn to hear, or here in some form, the fact that you would even consider limiting their access to language and communication was just horrific to me. And it was clear, and it was a really difficult issue for the parents because there's a lot of things to weigh. And here they have this doctor telling them, well, this is what you should do. And ultimately they choose a different doctor and they sign with her. And, but I just, I found that just so upsetting. And so, and I literally looked it up to see, because that seems so outdated to me for a doctor to be saying that. Mm-hmm. And I actually looked, you know, I was like, would, would a doctor really do this? But apparently Alice Gino did a lot of research and the answer is yes. I mean, something similar happens with children who have parents that are bilingual or that speak a language other than English, primarily at home, where a lot of times they're told, oh, only speak English with your child so that they don't get confused. And there's really not evidence to support that because speaking two languages 
helps your brain to actually make more connections. It makes you more capable of learning down the road. And then on top of it, you're bilingual. Um, so while there may be a very slight delay in language acquisition, it's quickly outstripped by all of the benefits of being bilingual and having those extra connections in your brain. I mean, I, I think there are so many people who are not deaf who utilize sign language with young children um, or children with special needs because it's just another form of communication that's so beneficial. I agree with both of you. I think that one of the things that this book so beautifully explores is the variety of communication that is used. So American Sign Language and there's a book within a book and, and then the instant messaging, you know, the, the texting, that, that form of language. So such a, such a variety of languages are explored. And I think it's beautiful how the book travels among them so um, just, just effortlessly, you know, from one form of communication to another. And, and like Amy said, I, I, was, I was outraged by that scene as well. And I think that Jilly innately knew had a connection with her little baby sister and was like, wait a second, we can't be making all these decisions right now for her and why can't I? And she's so bold and then decides, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna learn sign language and every day and I'm gonna, by the time she's however old she is, I'm gonna know this many signs. And um, I just thought it was a beautiful relationship between siblings also. And I think it's her friendship with Profound and now Oaktown slash, um... Derek is that his actual name because um, they talk on uh, the Vidalia uh, group for Kids Who Love That series um, that kind of like opens her eyes to this too is like, well, you know, he's, he's deaf and um, she discusses it with him because, you know, the parents are looking into getting the cochlear implant and she's like, well, do your friends, you know, cause he doesn't have one, but his friends like it, you know, some like it, some don't. Um, and, but unfortunately she finds out from him that uh, if you don't get it young, if you get it later, you know, by the time you can like actually think about it and, you know, choose to get it on your own, it won't work as well, which mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of a big thing too. But um, he says at one point, um, once uh, I, he asked if the doctor suggested they put mittens on Emma's hands to stop her from signing, which is we, you know, we all talked about like you, you like as children's librarians, as, um, as a children's librarian who works with like, you know, we do baby story time. Like I, I try to get as many, I try to do signs like at least in a few songs. So I was like, wow, like, and these kids can hear too. So I was so, sh I was incredibly shocked to hear that like they didn't want her sign. And he says like, it's like as, as if hanging around hearing people is going to make me hearing or something, which is why they didn't want him to sign. And that's why they wanted to put the, you know, try with, the, uh, they're trying the hearing aids with Emma. It's like, no, like we have to, like we have to act as if like you can't hear people and then, you know, find other ways to communicate, which is, you know, you can't ignore that. Kind of interesting as we're talking about this, the juxtaposition between this really terrible doctor and the doctor in Wink, who basically says, you know, I can fix it, but you're going to lose your eye and you're going to go blind and you need to do it today. And then they ultimately find this other doctor who says, no, I can do something 
that will allow you to still retain your sight in your other eye and whatnot. And so we have these two very like powerhouse abrupt doctors with no bedside manner wanting to do things very, that are, are really dramatic. And then they kind of find other doctors who are able to work in a way that's sort of more humane. Hopefully none of our listeners have to deal with that, but as, as adults, <laughs> it is important to know that just because somebody is a doctor does not always mean that they know what is best for you as an individual. And it's always good to talk to more than one person and get more ideas. And that's how we learn and grow. Not everyone can know everything. Librarians think we know everything about everything, but or other people think we know everything about everything, but really we just know how to access information and research stuff. Exactly. <laughs> But even doctors have librarians. And so sometimes doctors have to do some research too and find out what the best thing to do is. Um, I think it's important that they keep open minds as well. And I think that this is, these types of books, they really open. And I think that I'm such an open-minded person. And then I'll read, you know, a book like this and I go, oh my gosh, you know? And so it, it's, yeah, just for, for, for doctors to keep, keep open minds, just like we do as librarians or as human beings, it's it's so important to just listen. I think that was a really important part of this book too, you know, and how interesting because so much of this book is is about the deaf community and how the the ways that it's really important and essential that we listen to one another. And so through that the the Vidalia chat. I think that Derek is able to share and to teach and he gets very frustrated, right? With, with all of the, the, the microaggressions, I mean, rightly so. Right. But I, but I also found myself checking me like in the, in the microaggressions that, that I have as well. So, oh, I just love this book so much. Sort of along those lines, one of the things that was really important about this book is that Jilly keeps making mistakes, but instead of closing down, She's like, okay, I messed up, how do I fix this? And she really learns a lot in the book and she changes and she grows. And it's because she's willing to say, I messed up, but what did I, I don't understand what I did wrong. Tell me how to fix it. Help me understand what I need to understand so I can do better next time. So I can be a better person. So I can be more understanding. So I can be more open. And that's such an important thing for all of us to remember because we so often make mistakes and it's so easy when you mess up to just like close yourself down or to just feel embarrassed and not be willing to do like not risk making a mistake or not wanting to like you get somebody angry and you don't want to talk about it and the fact that she's willing to take that step and ask for the help and and try to change I thought that was a really important part of the book. Let's talk about that Thanksgiving dinner. So talk about microaggressions and just aggressions uh, all brought up. And Joanne is Jillian's mother's sister who is married to Aunt Alicia, who is black and has two um, children from a former marriage. So at this um, dinner, at this Thanksgiving dinner, the first thing that the grandmother does that is a microaggression is she finds out that um, sweet potato pie is something that um, most Black families have on Thanksgiving. And it's 
found out it's better than pumpkin pie. So she asked Annalisa to, if she can make that for them sometime, which is, you know, I, I understand the grandmother in this situation is like trying to learn and she like by, um, you know, to look to Annalisa to make it like, who knows if she, you know, likes cook, likes baking or could make, a, you know, a sweet potato pie. pie. So that kind of sets the tone for the, um, for the dinner, which uh, get, gets worse. In that scene, um, the grandmother is at least honestly thinks she's trying to like be open, but the uncle is just plain old racist and he's just mean. And he asks like, well, why is she mad? What did I do wrong? When it's very clear that pretty much everyone else at the table is aware that what he did was really not okay. And it's just interesting to see what it must be like to be in a interracial family and the questions like how you handle those sorts of things and why it can be complicated and difficult and some families are better than others. And then following that was the whole thing that her parents didn't really want to talk about what happened. Mm -hmm. And she really needed to talk about it. And her aunt encouraged her to keep, her aunt Alicia, the black aunt, encouraged her to keep talking to her parents and trying to get them to talk about it because it was important. And it was really clear that her parents were trying to protect her, but what they, what she really needed. And I think what we as adults need to remember to do with the kids is not try to shelter them, but to be honest with them and open up conversations so that we can talk about these things and, and prevent stuff like that from happening by educating ourselves and educating our children and educating each other. It seems the theme of this novel is really communication, both different forms of communication, whether that is through speaking, through ASL, through text messaging or instant messaging, but also making sure that we communicate our ideas and our feelings and communicate when we notice something that isn't right, when we see somebody being mistreated and standing up for them. Yeah, and we see that at the next uh, holiday dinner that um, Aunt Alicia and Aunt Joanne aren't at, and Jillian speaks up. She's like, that's not appropriate. That's not right. And um, like her parents are like, you based, I, I could not be more proud of you because you did something that like was hard and, but necessary too. And they were like, and we didn't even do that. So it's, it is great that, um, you know, she, I mean, there's going to be missteps along the way, just as there is for everything. But like Jillian's like, ready to learn, like ready to, you know, make those mistakes and apologize and try to do better the next time. And I mean, how else can we do that if we're not communicating with each other? I like there. the fact that the book was about um, all, like there were the, the issues about the, the deaf sister and, the de and then the whole idea of deaf culture and interracial relations and all of that stuff, but yet it was all done from a positive point of view. It wasn't, you know, on the one hand, there were a lot of issues that she had to deal with, but it didn't feel heavy. It felt like this is really life and this is how we're going along and we're running into these issues and we have to figure out how to deal with them. 
Um, I also really liked the portrayal of the deaf community because I think that so many people don't realize that being deaf can be in many ways, it's more than just, I can't hear. It's also, there's a whole culture around ASL and the deaf community that is its own unique culture in a way that most other like physical differences don't create. Um, and, and the issue of, do you get a, a cochlear implant or do you, don't, do you not? That, that's a big issue and something that really gets discussed within the deaf community. And so I think that was, it was, I'm guessing that this book could have been kind of eye-opening to people who don't really understand that. Yeah, one of the things I found that was really eye-opening is in the deaf community, um, they get like a deaf, a, a sign for their name, but it has to come from someone in the deaf community. Like that's why it's a big deal when Jillian tries to make a sign up for her baby sister, Emma's name. Um, Derek slash profound and Aptown was like, no, you can't do that. Like, forget that, forget that sign. It's like, it comes from, it comes from other deaf people and she'll get one. And it's kind of like a rite of passage and like a privilege. And I, and that is, that was just incredibly interesting to me. I would, like definitely, definitely learn something new there. It was, it was really, really eye-opening to learn more about the deaf community for sure. A lot of times I think people think of ASL and I know what you do, what we do for babies and for story times and things is not really ASL. While we may use signs that are borrowed from American Sign Language, other times they're adapted signs and we're not teaching the language. We're teaching a word, but we're not teaching the language. Is that ASL as a language has its own grammatical rules. It has its own structure that is completely different from spoken English. And that was something that I learned fairly recently, despite the fact that I have been doing baby sign language for years when I was a childcare teacher and things like that. So it's very interesting to find too the different um, the differences between learning an individual word and learning a language. That's like, you know, just because I know how to say hola doesn't mean I think I can speak Spanish. <laughs> very true. Or that I understand, uh, you know, Latino culture or anything like that. You know, it's knowing a couple of words is different from understanding the language or understanding the culture. And it's important to be, um, to be sensitive to that fact. There's a whole other than plot line besides the parts that are going on revolving around deaf culture that has to do with the... Um, the shooting of a black deaf girl and how does that impact the characters in the story well this is one of the reasons why i said i thought this book was topical because they have this situation and it's particularly impactful because the girl who gets shot is like one of these like she's top of her class she's really smart she works really hard she she like tutors other kids and what happens is she's going for a run because she's on the track team. And for some reason, the, one of the cops sees her, he yells at her to stop. She's deaf, so she doesn't hear him. So she doesn't stop. And instead of trying to like catch up to her, do something, whatever, she gets shot. 
And it's just so horrific because it's, it's so much outside of any, any reasoning. It's like often when there's a character who gets shot, there might be you know some gang stuff that's going on around there or they're in a, a sketchy neighborhood or they're friends with somebody who maybe is a little, but she was just this kid and she was just going for a run. And if she just couldn't hear them calling at her to stop. And so that just made it like even more impactful, I think, when she died. That and the fact that Jilly actually knows her. She's met her. She doesn't know her well, but she has met her. This is not just a faceless person. We as the readers have met this character. So we're not looking at like, you know, we're watching the news and somebody, you know, we hear about somebody, it's, it's somebody she actually knows and has met. And I think that made it even more impactful when it happened and even more horrific because we do know that this girl is like the kid who, if she was hearing in white, this would never have happened. It reminded me of a news story that I read recently about a deaf woman who was handcuffed and the discussion about when you handcuff somebody who's deaf, you're really gagging them. You are preventing them from communicating. And how is that different from handcuffing somebody who is hearing um, or who doesn't rely on their hands and rely on um, signs to communicate? You know, it goes back to a lot of the talks of needs for sensitivity training and understanding that other people may have different needs than, than we do and how can we best meet those needs. Any closing thoughts on this title? So I would say, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely the sort of book that kids who like things with sort of realistic issues and day-to-day -day stuff um, would like, but Jilly is also just a really normal kid. She's not like, she's just a kid. She just, she feels like a kid you would know in school. Yeah, this was, was a great read. And I really like the idea that they all, there's kind of this community around a, a, novel, a trilogy, a fantasy trilogy, and, um, and that they all connect and it helps them you know, have, have bigger discussions too. And, you know, as librarians, we do enjoy, you know, books and having that. So that was, um, yeah, that was a great uh, kind of final thing to throw in there. To, to Clearly we can identify with people forming connections over book discussions. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. So that's, that's why I enjoyed this one too. Yeah, books are, are a way to bring people together across, similarly to music and wink, um, to bring people together across different abilities or interests or uh, races or genders or any of that. It's kind of a way to bring people together. That's why we do what we do. Indeed. If you loved these books, here's some others that you should check out. Itch by Polly Farquhar. Normal, One Kid's Extraordinary Journey by Magdalena Newman. Halfway Normal by Barbara D. Turtle Boy by M. Evan Wolfenstein, Song for a Whale by Lynn Kelly, New Kid or Class Act by Jerry Craft, Show Me a Sign by Anne-Claire Lazat, 
Hello Universe by Aaron Entrada Kelly, and The Silence Between Us by Allison Gervais. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. Next time we'll discuss Cog by Greg Van Eekow and Emmy in the Key of Code by Amy Lucido. You can find more information on this podcast as well as our publishing schedule online at bit.ly slash librarians connect. Happy reading!